his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Your fever is high and the pressure to log in at work is too. But when you finally decide to take care of you, there's Instacart. Just because that one perfect coworker of yours is attending all meetings, camera on while she's sneezing, coughing, and aching, doesn't mean you have to do the same. Take it from us. Trying to stay on top of things will only get you further behind. Instead, get everything from tissues and teas to cough suppressants and comforting soups delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. If anyone needs anything, they can just redirect their questions to that one perfect coworker. Worker of yours. Illinois' 3rd Congressional District was redrawn to give it a heavily Hispanic voting population. And as circumstances would have it, there is no incumbent. It's a heavily Democratic district. So that primary is key, and we're going to talk with the two leading candidates. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. The Democratic primary race in the 3rd Congressional District is an expensive and hard-fought contest pitting two familiar, if not extremely well-known, Latino elected officials against each other. 4th District State Representative Delia Ramirez has been in the Illinois legislature since 2018, and she's an assistant majority leader under Speaker Emmanuel Chris Welch. 36th Ward Alderman Gilbert Villegas joined the Chicago City Council in 2015, and he's chair of the council's Latino caucus. He led his colleagues through the remap fight. There are two other candidates on the ballot. I spoke with Villegas and Ramirez separately in recent days. Villegas is up first. I asked him about the significance of running in a newly created Latino district. You know, um, when I look at this district, uh, it's really my... I look at my ward and really my ward is a microcosm of the district. I have a ward full of immigrants, middle-class, um, first responders. Uh, and so I look at the district and it really mirrors uh, the, the ward that I represent now, obviously at a larger scale. Um, but listen, I'm, I'm uh, looking at some of the accomplishments that I've done throughout my career uh, and really my approach to legislation in uh, trying to get things done has always been about being pragmatic and progressive in my approach. Understanding that uh, we won't, I won't allow perfect to be the enemy, but really introducing legislation, forcing a dialogue around topics that are important to working families, getting a win, and then building on that win if I don't get everything that I'm looking for. And I think that's what's missing really in Washington, D.C. right now. When you see both parties, um, whether it's the far left or the far right, really entrenched uh, in, in this my way or the highway approach to legislation. It just doesn't work. And in the meantime, people are hurting. This pandemic really uh, has impacted uh, black and brown communities uh, and really folks, immigrants throughout this district. And so I think it's time to send someone to Washington DC that wants to come with, with pragmatism at the forefront, understanding that we gotta get things done for the working families uh, within the district. And you use the word progressive in the way of doing things, it, although it would seem that that isn't a label that 
some people would attach to you. Uh, and Delia Ramirez, the your most your closest opponent in this, uh, considers herself a progressive. Uh, is this in some ways a tug of war within uh, the Democratic Party between people in the center? And that's how you're often perceived. Correct me if I'm wrong. And people on the progressive side or the what's labeled a progressive side. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I think that you have the, the folks that are that consider themselves to be progressive, um, really trying to be in charge of who's progressive and who's not. When you take a look at my legislation, nothing could be more progressive than the guaranteed basic income pilot program that I introduced uh, last year, uh, which would provide 5,000 families, 500 bucks a month for a whole year in a pilot program, and then tying it with University of Chicago in order to put forward a study that we can see how we can make this a permanent, permanent option for residents in Chicago. Listen, I benefited, I benefited from a program like this. I grew up in Chicago Housing Authority. So I've seen my mom struggle as a single mom raising two boys in the city of Chicago. I've seen how she was concerned about how to pay for childcare, how to pay for food and clothing. And, how, and, and as communities got more challenging, that stipend that my mom got from survival death benefits and social security provided my mom the option to move us to safer communities to ensure that two boys in the city of Chicago that she was raising had a better chance of making it. And so I saw what that, what that did to my mom as a single mom. And that's why I put forward the guaranteed basic income program because I wanted, I saw what it did for me and my brother and my mom uh, where it, where, where this investment from government, um, pro, you know, produced two, um, uh, two uh, young men that both served our country, um, but also we've been taxpayers since we were 18, so we've paid back that investment at least four or five times over, uh, and, and we're happy to do so because we know that it was provided to us in the beginning. And so, what being progressive uh, is really about making sure that you're doing things progressive, and I can tell you that. Based on my record, um, I feel that I've done progressive things. Now I'm more I'm more pragmatic about my my approach, um, and, and and what differs also from my colleague I'm sorry from my competitor on the other side um, is that as it come as it relates to public safety, um, I want to make sure, just as the president said, that we're not defunding the police, that we're funding the police, we're training the police, making sure people's rights are not being violated. But then more importantly, investing in communities that have not been invested in for decades. All you have to do is go to the west side of the city today in Chicago, and you'll see structures from the 1968 riot that were burned down there on the Martin Luther King riot. And they're still in existence today, some 40 odd years later. And that's just wrong. We have not done a good job in investing. And under this, under this city council, I've supported the Invest Southwest initiative. Uh, because of the fact that we begin to invest in these communities. And we need to make sure that we're, we're uh, asking corporate America to follow suit with these types of investments. Because this, this approach to violence, uh, this approach to reimagining how we police is going to need all everybody to be on the same page. And whether that's government, whether it's not-for-profit sector, or whether it's the private sector, we've got to deal with this issue of violence. And let's talk about what you feel can and should be done from Washington to uh, to deal with the violence. And also in, in, in doing this, also 
talk to me about your other top priorities, the things that you want to focus on from day one, uh, if you were to go to Washington. Yeah. So today we're, we're seeing on the news that 14 kids and a teacher were killed in a mass shooting. 14 kids and a teacher were killed in a mass shooting. This is the second mass shooting in the last month. We've got to do something about gun violence. And I can tell you that at the federal level, we've got to address this issue. Chicago and Illinois have some of the toughest gun laws on the books. But if you have Indiana, Kentucky, Wisconsin, Iowa, whose gun laws are a lot lax than us, then that's an issue. And you see the straw purchasing, you see the background checks are not the same across the board. So we got to do something at the federal level to address this issue. Listen, I was in the Marines. I fired the M16A2, I fired the 50 caliber assault weapons. They're just that, assault weapons. We have to ban assault weapons. Uh, we want to make sure that people's uh, Second Amendment rights are protected, but assault weapons, we need to ban those things because we know exactly what they're used for. Um, so I want to take a look at making sure that we're dealing with gun violence, gun laws, uh, whether it's whether it's uh, banning assault weapons, whether it's mandatory background checks, uh, whether it's whether it's uh, uh, banning ghost guns, and even going further. The thing is that we have to do we have to do something at the, at the federal level. But we also want to make sure that as it relates to violence, that we're investing in communities. That's very important. We got to invest in communities. We're not going to police our way out of this issue. We have to reimagine how we're deploying police officers. We have to make sure that FBI, ATF agents as well can come in, put task force together in order to address some of the root causes uh, of gangs in, in, in urban areas throughout the country. Listen, I'm, I'm, I've knocked on thousands of doors since November, uh, and I've been at a lot, of, a lot of kitchen tables, and I've heard a common theme throughout this district. What I've heard is that people are concerned about public safety, people are concerned about affordable health care, people are concerned about inflation, People are concerned about affordability of college and people are concerned about Voting Rights Act. And I would also add that after uh, in May, early this month, when, when uh, SCOTUS leaked the-, the, the, the uh, You're on Roe versus Wade. On Roe v. Wade, we hear that there's a lot of uncertainty around that. And Congress needs to act on that right away by codifying Roe v. Wade. And I can tell you that I will be a vote to support that immediately. As it relates to public safety, again, bringing resources back, affordable health care. Again, I said I don't allow perfect to be the enemy. But if it's Medicare for all, we can get 218 votes in the House and 50 votes in the Senate. Let's pass it. But in the meantime, if we can't, we've got to figure a way to deal with the, with the unaffordability of health care. And so that's expanding Affordable Care Act, reducing the age of Medicare uh, uh, eligibility down to 55 to capture more people, then let's do that. But we got to do something. And that's why I talk about being pragmatic, is figuring out what is it that we can do? What kind of wins can we get in order to deal with the, the issues that people are dealing with on a daily basis? Inflation. I'm a huge proponent, huge proponent of bringing back light manufacturing back to Chicago. Uh, back, I'm sorry, back to uh, America. The Competes Act um, does, does a good first step in, in doing uh, chips, manufacturing chips here in, in America. We got we to continue doing that more. Illinois has a great opportunity in the electrification of vehicles. We have a great opportunity to take advantage of that. And so we want to make sure that as a representative that we're bringing resources back to Illinois in order to capture that new market. 
um, I talked about um, affordability of college. Um, so whether it's canceling student debt or taking a look at canceling portions of student debt, depending on how much you make, um, but we got to do something. Uh, the president has the authority to cancel some student debt. I would urge him to do it. But in the meantime, we can, we can do something as, as legislators, either codify it through legislation uh, or push the administration to do, do more. We know that education is an equalizer. It's a game changer. But we also, also, we also have to understand that every, every student or every student that graduates from high school is not going to college. And so what are we doing in the building trades and vocational skills to provide for young men and women that might not be ready to go to college yet? What are we doing to prepare them to enter the workforce and within the building trades, enter the middle class with no student debt? And so we've got to take a look at uh, creativity in, in educating our kids, whether it's through college or through vocational skills. We've got to take a look at that. In Chicago, we have the STAR, STAR program that provides uh, students that get a 3.0 to go to any community college for free, regardless of their status. We should be taking a look at mirroring, it, mirroring that throughout the country with community colleges to at least expose kids and education to see if this is something they want to do for college, giving them that opportunity. Um, so those are some of the things that I want to focus on as, as a congressman. Uh, and, you know, something that's come up as of recent as well is around Voting Rights Act. And I, I, I want to help uh, based on what took place January 6th, where I never thought we'd see an insurrection, an attempted coup of this government, really put into perspective how fragile our democracy is. And I can tell you, as a Marine, I took an oath to defend this country against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And that oath doesn't have an expiration date. And so my weapon may have changed. Uh, but I can tell you that the pen is mightier than the sword. And we got to pass the John Lewis Voting Rights Act to make sure that we're making it easier for people to participate in this democratic process, not harder. We see that Republican-led uh, 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 states are making it harder for people to participate. That's just wrong. You want to win? Work harder. Uh, don't change the rules. Make it easier for people to participate in this electoral process. And we got to codify that by law as well. With the minute or so that we have left, but let me ask you how you get past the kind of philosophical stalemate that we're getting because people get so angry uh, uh, that and, and won't seem not to be able to listen to each other. How can you get any of that done when there's that much uh, polarization? Yeah, again, pragmatism is what's needed in, in Washington, D.C. right now, not more of entrenched um, uh, purist beliefs. I can tell you that, that um, in the 1970s and 80s, 70% of Congress was made up of veterans. And what you saw was that veterans that had put their lives on the line to de defend this country were now in charge of legislating, but they always knew that they were trying to move the country forward. Now, despite the fact that they didn't agree, they, could, they just didn't agree, but they understood that we all had a common mission in trying to make sure that this country was the best that it could be. We're missing that right now. Now 28% of Congress, uh, veterans make up 28% of Congress. We need to send more people that have fought for this country that understand that we need to move, continue moving the ball down the, down the field in order to get wins. And what, I'll, what, I'll, what, what I plan to do is appeal, work with people to appeal to them, understanding that this is good for you as well. And this is good for your constituents, regardless if you're a Democrat or Republican. 
You're listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm Craig Delamore. We're talking with the two leading candidates in the newly redrawn 3rd Congressional District. You just heard from Chicago Alderman Gilbert Villegas. Next up is State Representative Delia Ramirez. She's the first person of Guatemalan descent to serve in the Illinois General Assembly. As I did with Gil Villegas, I asked Delia Ramirez about deciding to run for this seat. Craig, this is an opportunity for this brand new district to elect the kind of Democrat they want to represent them in Congress. And for me, this is personal. Look, I'm the daughter of a man who's in his 70s, and he's still worried after retiring about needing to find another job just to keep costs, keep up with cost of maintaining the house or even his Medicare supplemental. I'm the daughter of a woman in her 60s who's a home care worker making minimum wage, job, minimum wage. so much that she's on Medicaid. She can't afford health care. I believe that we need members of Congress who are full-time legislators that understand what it's like to have to figure out how to make ends meet, who understand the difficulty of not being able to afford health care, and someone who comes from this district and always centers their their community on this work. Um, I have been a legislator for four years, and in that time, I've worked really hard to expand health care coverage to include seniors regardless of the legal status. This is the first state in the entire nation that has provided health care to seniors in the middle of a pandemic. More than 11,000 people here have health care for the first time. Because for me, we can't just talk about expanding health care. We got to get it done. Um, I, in the middle of this pandemic, worked really hard to keep people in their homes. I understand the housing instability in the city of Chicago, but also in other parts of this district like DuPage and other parts of the state. I passed the most comprehensive legislation to keep people in their homes and make sure the $1.5 billion we got from the federal government went to the people that needed the most impacted by COVID. For me, this is an opportunity to send to Congress someone who has spent her entire life helping people, not just electing someone who is a corporate lobbyist, not electing someone that is about the status quo, or as the judge yesterday said about a royal, the kind of people who are corruption super spreaders. We need people that come from community, know how to get things done, and will take that work to Congress. What would you say has been the the biggest uh, help that you've been able to give the district in uh, from Springfield, and and also? what the highest priority should be if you were at the federal level? Look, what I heard when I ran almost five years ago was that healthcare, housing, and education were top issues. What I hear people talk about in this new third congressional district is that healthcare, economy, abortion rights, ethics are all extremely important. Being able to get emails, Craig, from people who tell me My mom has health care for the very first time at the age of 66. And boy, do I wish you were around three years ago. Maybe my father would still be alive and not would have had to work until the last day with cancer. Knowing that I was the lead negotiator to expand health care coverage here, to me, has been one of the most meaningful things as a state legislator. And knowing that this was the first state to do so, and now California is following And I got to tell you that the emergency housing protection work has also been really important, Craig. And you heard me tell you about this bill that I negotiated (laughs) 
with realtors, uh, with bankers, and with advocates. But this was the bill that kept more than 100,000 people in Illinois in their homes at the peak of the pandemic. Imagine if people would have lost their homes or been at risk of it a year ago, followed by this inflation. We would have people in shelters all across the state. We would have had people sleeping under bridges with their children, in parking lots at hospitals. This was key legislation to stabilize community. And what I hear people talk about and what I wanna really focus on when I get to Congress is to work on healthcare. Because to me, healthcare intersects with every other issue. And I believe that abortion is healthcare. I also believe that we have to pass Medicare for all. And what that means for me, you know, people talk about it and, you know, it sounds like a hashtag, but what I'm saying is that people deserve good quality healthcare and they shouldn't have to worry about bankruptcy if they end up in the hospital, which is why people don't go to the doctor. They're so afraid of that bill or that copay if they're underinsured. So I want to make sure that we are reducing the age to access Medicare from 65 to 55. That like we've done here in Illinois, that we are giving, um, we're giving the government the authority to negotiate to lower the, pres- the cost of prescriptions the way we did here with insulin. I mean, the fact that the pharmaceutical companies can charge $700 for medication that otherwise would cost $100 is criminal. And we have to continue to expand coverage to populations that pay into the Medicaid system, the way that seniors and essential workers that are residents or undocumented pay into it. I want to see us do that because it's the right thing to do. But Craig, it also saves us money in the long run. Tell me how you think uh, the, uh, the mostly Democrats are going to be able to do something meaningful if Roe versus Wade uh, falls as it is expected to do? Craig, I think that we have to be prepared for the overturn and we have to understand this is not just about abortions and this is not about ending abortions. This is about ending safe abortions. Democrats, we have to be united and organized in helping people understand that this is about life and the ability for people to stay alive in this moment. It's also about birth control. It's about the ability to access in vitro treatment. Some of us have struggled with pregnancy losses very recently. And when we talk about Roe versus Wade being overturned, we're talking about all of these things. Craig, this is also about marriage equality in the future, or the fact that children who were born in this country, like me, from immigrant parents, that there may be now precedent to also overturn my birthrights. And so we have to be able to organize together to, yes, codify. And I believe we can do so in Congress. And we have to make sure that every single Democrat that's in the Senate does its job that they were elected to. And this is where I think everyday people and constituents come to play. Constituents, voters, women, everyone needs to be calling their elected official every single day and saying, this is the absolute priority because it's about my life and it's about healthcare. This actually kind of brings up that there, there 
are divides within the parties. The Republicans have their own uh, struggles, but there seems to be a struggle within the Democratic Party, too, um, between um, people who would identify as progressives, and I think you would be one of them, uh, and those who would uh, call themselves centrists or, or moderates or whatever you want to. And I know that uh, Gil Gilbert Viegas refers to himself as a pragmatist, saying you have to uh, n know how far you can go and, and be able to compromise. And he suggests that progressives do not. Uh, how do you see that playing out, especially in issues like abortion and other things? Yeah. Progressives are the ones that codified Roe versus Wade in Illinois. We didn't have a super majority vote for the Reproductive Health Act bill in Springfield in the House of Representatives. Progressives, Kelly Cassidy leading the charge, are the ones that got it done. Progressives are the ones that repealed the parental notification in Illinois. I am the one that kept 100,000 people in their homes during a pandemic, not Gil Villegas. I mean, the truth is that he can call himself a pragmatic Craig, but he's a failed leader. Every time he's had an opportunity to lead, he has failed. He's failed as a floor leader. When he had an opportunity to stand up for women, he voted for a $5.1 million TIF allocation to an anti-abortion hospital to put an anti-abortion clinic in his own area, in the Belmont Cragen area. That's not a 100% choice to me. When he had an opportunity to stand up for veterans, he being a veteran, he voted no. He voted no to bring a housing development to house homeless veterans in his own ward. And in a city council that's nonpartisan, however, mostly 49 of them identify themselves as Democrats. When he was the chair of the Latino caucus, instead of leading the charge to bring more representation, because he was so obsessed with his own political um, ambition or running for Congress or playing games, he failed them. And instead of taking responsibility as a leader, he threw members of his own caucus under the bus. That sounds like someone who was a president before. So I think it's really important, Craig, that people go beyond words. You can say you do things, you should look at people's record. I'm the one that passed housing legislation. I'm the one that passed the elected representative school board in Chicago, the first ever. And I'm a progressive that gets things done. I know how to bring caucuses together. He knows how to create divide. We don't need more of that in Congress. We need people that get things done. Now, speaking of that elected school board, uh, how satisfied are you with how it's moving forward uh, it's it's on the timetable, I assume, but uh, are you are you happy with uh, how how it's moving? I'm grateful and I'm excited that we will finally have an elected representative representative school board. I wish that it was happening sooner and not a hybrid model, but we had to compromise. However, by 2027, we'll have a fully elected representative school board. And Craig, we've seen the fights between the mayor and the union. And the community oftentimes feeling like, where do we stand? Why isn't the school board speaking on our behalf? This time, 
they'll have an opportunity to elect the people that serve on that school board and not at the pleasure of their mayor. So I really think it's going to be key and critical as we see our schools and the future of our children in our schools in the coming years. Tell me what you think, uh, the, uh, the, how you think the uh, constituent service would go if you uh, go to Congress. Uh, aldermen are, tend to be kind of well-known for, for having to do more cons, cons, uh, you know, s- citizen service and community service than anything else. But that's also a, the story for, uh, for uh, congressional people, too. Yeah. Here's the thing, Craig. I have been a social service director for much longer than I've been a state representative. I come from the nonprofit world. I ran a social service agency for nine years. I was a caseworker prior. And then I ran a number of other nonprofits. If you come by my state rep office, uh, they'll tell you that this is one of the busiest constituency services office in the entire state. People know that I used to be the one helping people find housing, find jobs, apply for Medicaid or Medicare. And I'm very proud of the work that my staff do. I have four people that work every single day in this office doing that. It's natural. And people say, well, Delia was the caseworker. Send them to Delia. Oftentimes, people will come to my office before they go to their aldermanic office. It is going to be key for me to have an office on two parts of the district. The district is pretty wide, one in the suburban part and one in the city. And I will have staff doing constituency services around the clock. That was State Representative Delia Ramirez, a Democratic candidate for the 3rd Congressional District. I'd like to thank her and her main rival, Alderman Gilbert Villegas, for talking with me this week. Juan Enrique Aguirre and Ayman Chahade are the other two candidates on the ballot. To our listeners, if you'd like a copy of this program or to hear it again, please visit our website at wbbmnewsradio.com. There's a link on the homepage. You can also find our podcast on odyssey.com. I'll be back next week with another edition of At Issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 1059 WBBM. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. will always be worth it. Apply today at penfed.org slash savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and the restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. We all agree that reducing carbon emissions is a good thing. And once again, Toyota is leading the way. We hear a lot about fully electric vehicles. And Toyota has them, with more coming in. But we also know a BEV is not for everyone, whether it's because of cost, range, or concern about finding a charging station when you need it. Plus, the raw materials used to manufacture batteries are limited. Enter Beyond Zero, Toyota's vision for a carbon-neutral future. In vehicles and in manufacturing plants, too, in the years ahead. 
The materials used to make just one long-range battery for an EV could be used to make batteries for six plug-in hybrids or 90 gas-electric hybrids. That's why Toyota's position today is electrified diversified, empowering you to choose how to reduce your own carbon footprint with the vehicle that's right for you, a hybrid, plug-in hybrid, or battery EV. So shop, learn more, and get details at toyota.com slash beyond zero. Toyota, let's go places.